You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It's Thursday, September 26th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news, all within 15 minutes or fewer. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm joined today by 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor, Trey Scott. Trey. Yesterday, you talked to Sam Webb about Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, all the drama going on up in Ann Arbor. Hot seat talk for Jim Harbaugh. If you missed that episode, check it out. Trey, so at the beginning of the week, we kind of met and pitched each other on our ideas for kind of our deep dive episodes here. And uh, we're sitting in the room, you, me, and our producer, Tani, and you said, Connor, cover your ears. I'm going to guess what you want to talk about. And you nailed it. Yeah, it's pretty easy. To be honest with you, uh, can I reveal now that you? Yeah, yeah, you can. Reveal. I knew I had a feeling that you'd want to take some extra time to dive into the uh, Holinsky's Hope headline snafu by the yeah. state. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a really complicated and interesting story with a lot of layers to it, and I think it merits some further examination. Hopefully, it doesn't come across as too media navel gazy. And it might, but yeah, I mean, there's not much going on right yeah. now as far as like you know we've Jim Harbaugh's a storyline and we like bashed that one with a hammer pretty good. So I think people are going to find it interesting as far as yeah, it's inside baseball, but yeah, so it's a big deal. So let's start with the basics. South Carolina goes to Columbia, Missouri, loses thirty-four to fourteen in large part because Ryan Holinsky wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Big snafu. Ends up with a fumble recovered for a touchdown for Missouri and then throws a pick six when it looks like South Carolina is marching down to make this a game. And Holinsky, this was his third start after taking over for Jake Bentley. South Carolina fans had had a renewed sense of optimism, one might even say hope, because of his performance in a 72-10 game against which Carolina was it? We'll Google. Uh, Charleston Southern. Charles. It's Charleston Southern. And then had had a quality loss against Alabama. Threw over 300 yards on like 54 attempts. Um, Trey's shaking his head. In yeah, I just, quality loss is just a silly thing to say. Um, so he was bad. <laughs> so and, yeah, he's you, bad against and South Carolina fans. You know, kind of what the air comes out of the balloon yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so. The headline in the state, which is the statewide newspaper, one of two statewide newspapers in uh, South Carolina, um, and is based in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, The headline is Holinsky Hope Sinks, which completely devoid of context, you can understand that headline. But in the context of the Holinsky family having a charity set up to honor the memory of their deceased son, Tyler, called Holinsky's Hope. This is appalling. It is an awful headline, and the state deservedly got a lot of criticism for it. So this headline comes out. People are mad. The state issues an apology, reaches out to the Holinsky family. A lot of people still aren't satisfied, and I think I should point out there are a lot of South Carolina fans, if you looked in the replies to any tweet or message board post about this topic, who believe this was intentional. 
believe this was an intentional move by the state to take a dig, knowing that context of Holinsky's hope to make fun of Ryan Holinsky in South Carolina. Now, Trey, it's wild to me that anyone's mind would go there. Yes, it cannot possibly have been intentional, but we're living in a time right now where the media, by a lot of people, is seen as the enemy of the people. Yeah. And I think there's also, I can, I've picked up in the last few years, a dynamic there in South Carolina where they're very much feeling like the underrepresented school and fan base in that yeah. state. And I think and that I would comes imagine, from the top of the program. I would imagine the state spends a lot of time writing a lot of good things about Clemson. And I can imagine mm. a fan base probably not liking the state to begin with, being upset at a bad loss to Mizzou. Now, I can, so I can, so all that to say, I can see them venting and maybe taking it out and being really upset as they absolutely should be because that's, that's bad. And we'll get into the kind of the logistics of how that might have happened with a copy editor off site. But there's just no way that was intentional. Absolutely no way. So I, I think it's worthwhile to point out that a lot of South Carolina fans' attitude toward the state and instinct to lash out at them has been modeled for them by the head coaches at South Carolina. And this goes back to Steve Spurrier. In 2011, Steve Spurrier gets into a feud with a columnist named Ron Morris. Threatened, he, doesn't, he walks out of a press conference after South Carolina loses to Auburn um, and says that he's not going to talk until Ron Morris leaves the room. I'm not going to talk when he's in here. That's my right as a head coach. I don't have to talk to him, and I don't have to talk to him when he's in here. It started with Steve Spurrier recruits Bruce Ellington over from the basketball team, a prized recruit for Darren Horn at the time. And Ron Morris writes a column where he used the word poached. Mm. And Steve Spurrier takes issue with that. Now, this is in the spring of 2011. And so that kind of comes and goes. And then Morris writes a critical column about Spurrier and the team after the loss to Auburn. Very disappointing loss. That was a bad Auburn team after they lost uh, Cam Newton and Nick Fairley. Like, the team that was left behind after that was just not any good. Gene Chizik gets fired, ends up getting fired. And it was a really bad loss for South Carolina. And so in his Tuesday press conference, Steve Spurrier walks out. He says he's not going to talk until Morris leaves. The next year... Morris criticizes a decision to play Connor, an injured Connor Shaw against UAB. Spurrier reacts much in the same way as he did back in 2012, being curt with the media at the end of conference calls. And it culminates in Spurrier saying later that season on his radio show that he'll just quit and head to the beach if the criticism continues. Then in 2013, Ron Morris is quietly reassigned to Clemson. And it's later reported out that his feud with Spurrier is the reason why. And it's something you might have seen in the replies in, in some of the complaints about the Selinsky headline is like, oh, did the state go and hire Ron Morris again? Mm-hmm. The, because before this even started with Spurrier, I mean, he was the local contrarian at the paper who kind of was the guy who's kind of viewed football and like big money sports kind of with a more skeptical yeah. eye. And so Spurrier coming out and publicly advocating against him was like all fans needed to, all right, here we go. So the other aspect of this that I want to drill down on comes up 
in the apology issued by the state for the Helensky headline. Their apology reads, uh, and they issued a couple different ones, one of which appeared in the original story. This one says, the print editions of our company's newspaper in both South Carolina and North Carolina are put together by copy editors based in Charlotte. They handle duties such as trimming stories to available space, editing photo captions, and rewording long headlines into the space made available by the design of the page. In this situation, the copy editor chose to highlight in the headline the reporter's wording in the first paragraph about the renewed hope Ryan Holinsky's performance had brought to the team. So I look at that, and I, I look at that process, and it makes total sense to me that this happened. Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, it, the, the copy editor in Charlotte, North Carolina, probably doesn't... I mean, this, this copy editor is doing life and arts, yeah. entertainment. News, yeah. uh, all of the different portions of a newspaper lives in a different state. Probably has no idea who Ryan Helinski was. Yeah, until like the week earlier. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a true freshman quarterback this making is, his third career start. It's it's not somebody with that outside of South Carolina fans, hardcore recruiting fans, maybe not somebody with a lot of names. Absolutely not. Th- that's why it's it's extremely unfortunate. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know what the solution would be, you know, have a, a system of checks and balances. Yeah. Maybe the writer gets to look at the headline, but this is such a rare occasion, and a writer is always going to find flaws with a headline. Yeah. No, I, it's, it, the, this is just a, a casualty of a new, the, 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 the print media business now. Yeah, and uh, I should say we've reached out to the state uh, for comment and told them we're doing this story. They did not... I was hoping to, that their sports editor would be available to talk to us, but it, it sounds like he could not get clearance for that. So, um, but they, we, they were, we were sent on, along a number of statements that they issued, and they do have at least said that they are committed to reexamining the editing process uh, to make sure that this doesn't happen. Like I, 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 it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. They, I mean, they're probably, probably never going to know like what they do. No, we live in a newspaper world in which. I believe it was the Los Angeles Times covered on Sunday morning UCLA getting blown out because they have to su- submit <laughs> the copy that quickly and write a headline and turn out a paper. And of course, UCLA comes back down 32 and beats Washington State. Oh, I didn't know that. Newspapers, I mean, I knew that game. Newspapers are, when I go home to Austin now, the Austin American Statesman, if it's a late Texas game, Sunday's paper says Longhorns were leading after first quarter. Read more about it online. Mm. That's, this is where we're at with newspapers. Yeah. This is, they're getting it in early. They have outsourced all of their work. Yeah. It's, there's absolutely no way it was intentional. Yeah. So in the state is owned by McClatchy, which, which bought the state, well, brought Knight Ritter, which owned the state back in 2006. And so all of the McClatchy, and they have 29 newspapers nationwide, and all of the newspapers that they own in South Carolina and North Carolina are edited in a hub in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the background there. And I wanted kind of an academic perspective on this. And uh, since we couldn't get anybody from the state, I, I, I reached out to Doug Fisher, who's a respected journalism professor, professor at the University of South Carolina, to kind of get his take on things. I, I've seen a lot of people like very angry at the individual writer whose name was attached to the story and the copy editor who wrote the headline. And like, 
in that situation where, where that is the system that's in place, uh, is it reasonable to expect a copy editor who lives in Charlotte to understand all of this backstory with the Holinsky family? And I don't know, how do you kind of combat that when we live in a reality where things have to be designed this way? It's very common these days that newspaper newspaper chains have gone to hub uh, editing and design centers. They they economically have to. First of all, let's understand that I have a file full of similar examples from the good old days when things were not edited in hubs. One of them cost Gannett seventeen thousand dollars a word. So, you know, let's not dwell on some fanciful idea of the good old days, uh, for starters. Um, certainly when you have hub editing, uh, some nuances are going to be missed. And given all the work the state had done on Helensky, it might have lessened, uh, this sort of thing. By the same token, I can see where the copier is reading the copy and sees the lead and worked off the lead for what, you know, is often a typical headline trying to work on wordplay and, and alliteration and that sort of thing. And this is not unusual. It happened in the wire service when I was at AP. I, most things were handled at the state level, but when they went up national, sometimes things got bollocksed. The public is very angry about this. And I think there is some friction in the public's not always understanding the way this workflow works and how this communication would break down. Some think it's intentional. What can a paper like the state do do at this point to kind of mend that relationship with its audience? I mean, I think they've done a lot of what can be done. They've tried to explain the situation. They've said they're very sorry. I don't believe it was intentional. It does sound like it was an oversight or, you know, someone who wasn't working, didn't know all the nuances. And I understand that that happens. It happened again when papers were edited locally. I'm not totally familiar with their workflow, um, but I know a lot of places are very digitally focused on the local level these days. And so pages don't necessarily come back for review or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure if that would have helped in this case. Again, I, I can't find fault with the state on this. I mean, I'm not absolving them. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. We should never make errors like this, just as we should never misspell people's names or get facts wrong. But I think people need to understand that it was not done intentionally. I don't believe it wasn't done maliciously. The lead of the story mentioned hope, and I believe that the editor was working off that. If this topic were to come up in one of your classes... Uh, and it does. What would you hope your students would walk out of that conversation with? Well, as, as I tell all of them, I mean, you, you just have to try and be as widely aware of things as possible. This was just such a special circumstance. In other words, I could see someone at the wire service making this problem. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, and, and it obviously shouldn't have happened. But I think the paper has been you know, very forthright in explaining what happened, in apologizing profusely. And you 
can't, I guess, change people who see some nefarious conspiracy theory in this, but I don't believe it's there. Thanks again to Mr. Fisher for speaking with us. One last note on that story on Sunday, South Carolina issued a statement signed by the school president, the AD and Will Muschamp, calling the state's apology, quote, not enough, and saying it was an example of unprofessional and irresponsible journalism. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we've got a lot of California talk with Mark Emmert sounding off once again on the Golden State's Fair Pay to Play Act and some injury and transfer updates on the USC Trojans, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Last week on the College Football Daily, we took an extended look at what would happen if California Governor Gavin Newsom signs into law Senate Bill 206, which would make it easier for players in the state to profit from their name, image, and likeness. Speaking to a group of Division I athletic directors on Tuesday, NCAA President Mark Emmert called the legislation, quote, an existential threat to the collegiate model. Elsewhere in his comments, Mark Emmert downplayed the notion that the NCAA's written response to the state of California should be considered a threat. Emmert said, quote, this whole notion that our letter was threatening is ridiculous. We simply said, here is one of the problems that will exist. That wasn't a threat. It was, look, folks, we can't have one state operating under different rules than the others. So in case you missed it, the letter said that if California enacts this law, the NCAA would rule every NCAA athlete in the state ineligible, which, uh, I don't know, kind of sounds like a threat. Keeping it moving right along, USC quarterback Keaton Slovis remains in the concussion protocol and still has not been cleared to practice, according to head coach Clay Helton. With Slovis not medically cleared to participate in practice, the true freshman status remains up in the air for the Trojans' upcoming showdown with number 10 Washington on Saturday. Against Utah, USC rallied behind redshirt junior quarterback Matt Fink, who threw for 351 yards and three touchdowns in USC's 30-23 upset win over the then number 10 Utah Utes. If Slovis is not cleared for this Saturday, Fink will be the only healthy scholarship quarterback on the roster. USC, of course, lost sophomore JT Daniels for the season with an ACL tear in the season opener against Fresno State, and Jack Sears entered the transfer portal after landing third on the depth chart behind Daniels and Slovis in preseason. Fink's backups will be walk-ons Brandon Perdue, Scott Harris, and Trevor Scully. Former USC wide receiver Devin Smith is transferring to Oregon State after participating in just one game for the Trojans in 2019. The former four-star joins a talented wide receiver room in Corvallis with former blue chipper and Nebraska transfer Ty John Lindsay, as well as the Pac-12's leading wide receiver in Isaiah Hodgins. Alabama kicks off against Ole Miss on Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Central, and Nick Saban has more takes about time and weather. 
Saban said on Wednesday, quote, I wish that some of the TV people and people from our conference would come at any stadium in these kinds of conditions and know that it's really difficult for the fans. This is an entertainment business that we're in, and I think the circumstances and conditions of the game are very difficult for them. I think you negate some of those positives. Saban went on, we do really appreciate what the fans do. We always have just this year. It's been a little hotter than normal and stayed hotter for longer. And we've had, fortunately or unfortunately, all afternoon games so far. So it's kind of unfortunate for the fans. So look, I know people don't like it when Nick Saban and Alabama complain, and I get that, but he kind of has a point here. At the same time, somebody has to play in these afternoon games with the way TV schedules work. There's a limited number of time slots. So if you want to go further on this issue, we talked to Travis Ryer a couple weeks ago from Bama Online about Alabama's ongoing issue with these early afternoon kickoffs. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Our next episode will come Friday in the form of the audio version of the 24-7 Sports College Football Show, which you can watch in video form live at 11.30 a.m. Central on YouTube, Periscope, or Facebook. It features me, Trey Scott, Barton Simmons, and Josh Ayler. At the end of the show, we'll be making our picks for the biggest games of the weekend. If you'd like to pick along with us and enter to win a $1,000 cash prize, Enter the CBS College Football Pick'em Pool linked in today's show notes and enter the password 15 minutes or fewer. That's the number 15 with no spaces in between. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. most all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply